holidays, a magical time filled with joy, laughter, and tradition. Something Judy Anderson and her husband Wayne were looking forward to celebrating with three generations of their tight-knit family. Little did they know that for more than half of their clan, this Christmas would be their last. It was Christmas Eve, 2007, and like clockwork, the Anderson family gathered for an annual celebration at their Carnation home, a heavily wooded property, a large metal gate that ran the length of a private driveway that was closed and secured with not only a chain, but several padlocks, keeping family in and strangers out. A steep dirt road led up to the Anderson property that looked more like a homestead. The main house, a modest rambler, surrounded by towering evergreens, flanked by gigantic sword ferns. A quarter mile from the main house, around the bend of the dirt road, was the single-wide mobile home. Judy and Wayne's 29-year-old daughter, Michelle, had been living on her parents' property for the past six months with her boyfriend, Joe. Everything was prepared for their annual gathering. Judy, she was ecstatic. All would be in attendance. Judy and Wayne's three adult children, Mary, Scott, and Michelle, along with their partners and the grandchildren. Both Mary and Scott were bringing their little ones the apples of Judy's eyes. Never could she have imagined that six people would lose their lives that evening in what would become one of the most horrendous family massacres in Washington state history. But some wonder if the outcome could have been different. If only the sheriff's deputies who responded to the first 911 call had scaled the padlocked metal gate, made that long trek up that steep private road on foot instead of driving away. Could he done anything to save these people's lives? Many people think he should have gone up that driveway. I'm Carolyn Osorio with Kim Shepard, and this is the scene of the crime. Okay, Carolyn, <laughs> I have to ask. Yeah. Who in your family would commit murder? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I actually lived next door to my sister. And as I was researching this story, I was like, you know, we had our fights, but geez, you know, yeah. family. I, I, I almost feel like most families, though, have that one person. I know in my family, if yeah. I were to ask my cousins, my brother, you know, other folks in the family, who do you think, if you had to pick somebody, not yeah, that you actually yeah. think they would kill people, yeah. but just like if you had to pick one family member. Oh, yeah. Someone pops in my head. Isn't that yeah. kind of the deal with true crime, though, where it's like you can't say that you're interested in it. And yet in the back of your mind, you're like, I know instantly when you said that the person who I could picture um, and I've got a knock on wood here, you know, <laughs> like doing something dastardly like that. Um, and yet you still invite them to the holiday gatherings and... <laughs> well, I don't invite this person. Not anymore? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah. I, I have a feeling this person that I'm thinking of in my family um, doesn't get invited to many 
gatherings anymore. And what do you think, why do you think it would be in this the, the person? Because, you know, in reality, it's always the person you don't think it is, right? But then I guess that's not true. I think that's more true with, like, pedophilia or things yeah. like that. But I don't know. It, it could go either way. But I don't want to say why, because I yeah. feel like it would give away the person yeah, that exactly. I'm thinking of. <laughs> exactly. Um you know, in my case, and I have no problem saying it, it was my uh, my my stepmom. I mean, it's, it's the classic, like you know, you know, parents divorce, nasty divorce, and I know she would never do anything. You know, at least I again, knock on wood. But she would do really weird things, like when we would go over there during the summer. Like she would give my dad and my and her and my stepsister the same plates of the same like design on them like matching then, set yes and then give my sister and i like the two dinged up you know <laughs> messed up plates the ones they picked up at the thrift store yeah. <laughs> yeah. um and then they wouldn't put any pictures of us in the house it was always like their perfect little family like we mm. were the ones that were not a part of that and i mean it was a nasty divorce so you know i mean and, and i'm sure she probably regrets doing that. But yeah, I mean, there's that, you know, when you said that to me, yeah, she's she's like the, I did feel like, you know, I don't want to eat any powdered donuts with like arsenic. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so do you think that in this case, the person who perpetrated the murders, and we're not saying who that is just yet, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you think they knew that that person had it in them? Well, let's just get to the story because I think that that is a very good question. And it's a good question because nobody ever thinks somebody in their family is going to kill them. I don't know. It just seems like we're talking about it. But I don't yeah. think that you would actually, you know, actually believe that. You know, you could say, oh, I think that they're going to kill me. But th you're just joking. So here's what happened. Judy's best friend and coworker Linda was worried. Two days had come and gone since Christmas Eve. And Judy hadn't shown up for work. In fact, Linda was so concerned, she up and left work at the post office and raced out to Judy's home. She parked in front of the locked metal gate, ignoring it, and the no trespassing sign in front of that long driveway. Linda shimmied around the gate's post and started the uh, track up the driveway on foot, her anxiety increasing with each step. It wasn't like Judy to miss work. And as the rambler came into sight, Linda's gut twinged with fear. It was so quiet, too quiet. You know that quiet. With so many people on that property, <laughs> it shouldn't have been quiet. Yeah, and there was also Judy's dog that usually nipped at her heels in the front yard. No dog. Oh. She approached the house on the hill, surrounded by the acres of thick woods with dread. And, and in fact, even though there was a lot of activity on the property with her family, it was a place where it wasn't uncommon to go days without running into a neighbor. Linda tested the front door it was unlocked and she stepped inside judy's living room don't go inside <laughs> she went inside if it was a, if this was a scary movie in a theater everyone would be throwing popcorn at the screen i know but she really was like worried about her friend and that worry led to her being confronted with an image that will surely scar her for the rest of her life the bodies of two adults and one small child on the floor Linda had left in such a hurry, she forgot her cell phone. So imagine that. You're at the crime scene. You see these bodies. She doesn't know who they are yet, except, you know, she sees a little child. She's not well, and sure. And who killed these people? And are they still there? Well, that's a really good question. But so she had to walk back in the back room of that house. She went inside. 
which was just like going deeper into the crime go, scene. Exactly. And and so she made a frantic call for 911. And for the next 30 minutes, to your point, the 911 operator made her stay there Ugh. on the line and went and asked her to check the bodies to see if they were cold to the touch. To touch the bodies. Yeah, but I mean, it makes sense because she doesn't know. I think she thought that it might be carbon monoxide poisoning. You know, she still didn't know. Right. And then as she got closer, she saw that one of the victims had been shot. And so she couldn't bring herself to to touch the child on the floor. And I don't blame her. I mean, that, I no. mean, it, you just, what do you do? You know, and she was totally terrified. The man's laying on the floor. The baby's crazy. He's only like two or three years old. A male and a female. And a baby. And he's laying on the floor. And the police officer comes as Linda waited for help to arrive, she was terrified for her life. Was that killer still somewhere on the property? She didn't know. And I mean, that 911 call was just, I mean, you could just feel her anxiety. Yeah. It was like over 30 minutes and she's just, every noise she hears. Okay, so so when police arrived, they made the grim discovery that not only the bodies of two adults, one male and one female and one child, but tragically, the body of another child who was under the body of the woman. So she <gasps> didn't see that there were actually two children. And how old? That must have been a young child. It was. They were very little, um, three and five. Then, get this, Linda actually called it because she said on the 911 call, she's like, I don't know if it's my friend or not, but if it's not my friend, because she started thinking, because she went back there a couple of times, like, I don't I don't think it's my friend. And she said, if it's not my friend, she thought that there would be at least two more bodies because she's like, there's no way that Judy would ever leave her grandchild. Okay. So, so anyway, two more adult bodies were found in the backyard. So, so a total of six victims? A total of six. So now I talked to former King County Sheriff John Urquhart, who at the time was the public information officer. And he says when officers arrived at that scene of the crime, Incarnation, the only thing that was clear was that the Anderson family had been massacred, but by whom? What was it like when you got there? The bodies were still in place, and they would stay in place, in this case, probably for two or three more days. What? We did what? Investigation. Oh, yeah. These are exceedingly complicated <laughs> yeah. in investigations from a forensic standpoint. I mean, we have to map and photograph and diagram, and there's an awful lot that has to be done. Remember, the bodies are, are uh, two of the bodies were in a, in a back outbuilding, uh, and, and the four of the bodies were still in the house. Why, why did they leave them there? I mean, I guess I would expect the medical examiner to be on the scene that day and be <laughs> t carting it away in their white mm -hmm. medical examiner van. Yeah, so that I had a huge long conversation with Sheriff, uh, former Sheriff John Urquhart about that because that's what you see on every single CSI crime show is that the two detectives are there and then the coroner's like, okay, we'll bring this body back to the lab and then we'll, you know, we'll go over it. But he said no. He said, in fact, what they do is they generally work the perimeter inside and the bodies are the last thing that they get to and he said that in the meantime they're mapping they're mapping all the positions mm -hmm. and so i mean it was a real and that, i think that when you have little kids involved 3 and a 5 year old you know how difficult would that be for 
the people that are there, the the officers, the, the first aid, all that, to do their jobs. Yeah. I mean, I just have so much respect for law enforcement and being able to just set aside that and, you know, kind of move forward to, to figure out what's going on. So meantime, many hours after police arrived on the scene, Urquhart says Michelle Anderson. Now, remember, she's Judy's daughter and her boyfriend, Joe McEnroe. They pulled up to the metal gate in a truck asking for permission to go to their home. They return to the scene and they make their way through this this perimeter of fire department and uh, park cars and this gaggle of press that was huge and walked up this driveway to get to our command post. And the command post is before that fence gated fence I talk about that goes up to the homicide scene. Yeah. So they're walking up this driveway, presumably to find out what was going on. And it became very clear something was up with Michelle and her boyfriend. And they're walking up this long driveway and I'm watching them. And I thought to myself, these guys did it. I've seen a lot of suspects and something about their body language, you know, the hairs in your back of your neck, this, yeah. this gut feeling. And I had no reason other than that. These guys did it. Wow. These guys did it. That's what he said. Urquhart says detectives on the scene were then blown away by the couple's demeanor. Very first clue that we had that something was going on here in this particular situation. And they come back to their, their house, their parents' home, their home as well. And there's all these police officers and all this press and all these fire department people. And you have to be approved to walk through the and crime scene tape. And you're allowed to go through this crime team tape. What's the first thing you're going to, what's going to be the first words out of your mouth? What happened? Are my parents okay? What's, what's going, going on? on here? What happened? Are my you got it. Okay? You nailed it. Never <laughs> said that. Those words never crossed their lips. What? I know. Yeah, that's a giveaway right there. Yeah. And you would think that they, and this just shows, I mean, when we talked earlier in the tease last, last week where we were saying, it's a case, and I don't want to give it away, but since we're here, you know, why? You would think that something like this would be well thought out and they would at least have something to say or or the obvious. What happened? Where are my parents? But the two were separated immediately and interviewed by detectives on the scene. At first, Michelle and Joe explained that on Christmas Eve, they had surprised Judy and Wayne with their sudden decision to drive to Las Vegas that morning and get married. Oh, that sounds like a happy, joyous occasion. Yeah, I completely missed the Christmas Eve family gathering. Mm, the detectives, not buying it. They pressed the pair. They quickly caved. Both Michelle and Joe confessed to the killing spree. Michelle says she killed her family because she was angry at her brother Scott because he owed her money. She was mad at her parents because they didn't take her side in that dispute. She was also upset because Judy and Wayne were pressuring her to start paying rent on the mobile home. Well, that would be a natural conversation, I would think, that you would have. But to think that that would lead to murder? Yeah, I think that you just can't wrap your head around those reasons. Yeah, I keep feeling you know? like there's got to be more. There's got to be something else. That can't be the only reason this happened. Yeah, so basically they admitted in premeditation they they each had a handgun loaded, drove up from their mobile home, which was, you know, just down the dirt road we've been talking about, went up to her parents' house, and Michelle confronted her dad while her boyfriend was in the rear of the house distracting Judy, who was wrapping Christmas presents. Judy heard a gunshot and then came running into the room where Michelle and Wayne were. 
Michelle had tried to shoot her father but missed, and then her gun jammed, prompting McEnroe to shoot Wayne in the head. Wow. Judy was screaming, and McEnroe shot her. He told police that she fell to the floor but was still screaming. He apologized to her, then shot her in the head. What? Now, these, the, the rest of the story is going to get really graphic, and you and I talked about this before, about, like, as we're doing this podcast, what is the goal of getting into the nitty-gritty, like, of what happened to these people? And, and I think that it comes back to, for me, what one of the family members would later say, don't forget what happened to these people and don't forget who they are. And so for those purposes, bear with us. This is going to get graphic. So basically then, Michelle and McEnroe dragged the bodies of Judy and Wayne into the backyard. They cleaned up the blood with towels and rugs so Scott's family wouldn't see. Because remember, they're still planning on coming over. Oh, this is before the rest of the family had arrived. This is before the rest of the family arrived. (gasps) So Scott and his two children and his wife were coming. And then then they have another older sister, Mary, and her children are coming. So they killed the parents before they arrived, dragged them into the backyard, and then waited for her brother Scott, his wife Erica, five-year-old Olivia, and three-year-old Nathan to arrive. So when Scott, Erica, and their two children were in the living room and Michelle pulled out her gun, Scott charged at her and Michelle shot him as many as four times. Michelle then shot Erica, his wife, twice. Even so, Michelle says Erica had managed to crawl over the back of the couch to call 911. And then Michelle was out of ammunition at that point, and she looked to her boyfriend. McEnroe didn't shoot Erica right away. He snatched the cordless phone out of her hand, saw that her call for 911 had connected, and he ripped the phone apart. And then McEnroe, and this is the most chilling thing, told police that he allowed Erica to huddle with her children. And Erica pleaded, you don't have to do this. McEnroe apologized, then said, quote, yes, we do, then shot Erica in the head and then killed her daughter, Olivia. After McEnroe killed his little sister, Olivia, three-year-old Nathan picked up the batteries that McEnroe had torn out of the cordless telephone, held them up in one hand. This is a little three-year-old. McEnroe says Nathan, the little three-year-old, quote, had the look of complete comprehension, as if he understood. McEnroe then fired one last bullet, killing Nathan. Now, one thing I've learned over my 43 years is, is we can never get into the mind of somebody like this. So well, but the other thing, that what we always do as rational human beings, we, look, we tend to look for a reason. Mm-hmm. Why did this person do that? How could this person do that? Why would they do it to the entire family if she just has a beef with her brother? But we can never get into their minds. There is no understanding some of things like this. And I've also learned that some people are just plain evil. And there's not a motive that we can understand other than they are evil. And evil people do evil things. And I clearly think that's what happened in this particular case. Oh, man. So as... As a mom, I mean, you've got five kids. I have four. I feel like we could put ourselves in this position. What would you do? Somebody's in the home firing guns. You've got your children there, young children. What would you do? 
I think we do exactly what Erica did. You know, she tried to get, you know, she had two gunshot wounds. She gets to the phone, obviously protected her daughter because her daughter was underneath her. And that's why they didn't see her. You know, she's protecting her children. You know, she begged for their lives and her lives. I mean, I, I think that that's the thing that is so chilling is that there wasn't anything they could do. Scott charged at her. You yeah, know, the other thing that that kills me about the story is that Michelle and McEnroe found each other. Uh, yeah. To have not just one person who is that evil that they're willing to commit those kinds of crimes, but then they found somebody else to, you know, partner up with. How does that happen? Well, from what I had heard when I was listening to the court testimony from her own sister, Michelle was just bitter and angry and jealous, and she'd hooked up with McEnroe on online, and he ended up coming and staying with her, and that she just wore the pants in the family, I mean, as a complete understatement. But she had brought up the situation where McEnroe was making brownies, and I guess, you know, Michelle just flew off the handle, like, and her sister was, like, shocked. She flipped out. She got really upset, angry. She says, I hate them. I hate mom and dad. I hate Scott. Ah, I just want to kill him, and I don't remember everything else. Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom. And I said, I won't. Of course, later that day, that was the first thing I did. What was the first thing I you told did? my mom exactly what she said. Did you take her seriously when she said it? I, no, not really. I, no, of course. Who thinks somebody you grew up with and you love is going to slaughter your whole family? It doesn't excuse anything, but when you're trying to understand, because I think that's the whole point of the story, it's like, how can you even wrap your head around it? Whether you have children or not, I mean, you're still going to lose sleep over it. And that's something that Urquhart, in all of his years, his 44 years in the sheriff's department, says this story. It's not even a story. These lives. This is the one that he's lost sleep over. So I have to I have to say this because this is just hideous. When asked why he shot Erica, Olivia and Nathan in particular, McEnroe stated three consecutive times during his confession, word for word, quote, I didn't want them to turn us in. I didn't want them to turn us in. I didn't want them to turn us in. So he was an egomaniac. He didn't understand that other lives had value. All he cared about was his own. You know what? I don't, I, I just, I, I can't even say. Like, I can't yeah. even, I can't even, I mean, Michelle said the same thing, adding she didn't want them to have to live with the memories of what happened. <laughs> like, she cared about their feelings. I mean. Well, I have to say, in a weird way, I get that. So <laughs> this is sick, but I have actually, because my mind is demented, thought about if there was someone who was going to come in with a gun in my home and threaten me and my children, would I rather die or have my children die? And I almost feel like I would rather my children die because living with the pain of losing them would be so torturous, but I would rather I have to deal with that torture than my children have to deal with the torture of remembering their mother being murdered in front of them. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, you you know, I, I've thought about this because you know that cold, that really great podcast with Josh Powell? Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm zigzagging to another uh, another crime. But basically, the, the husband killed or 
is believed to have <laughs> to kill. Yeah, is believed to have killed his wife. They never found the body, but then en- ended up killing up the killing the two children years later. Years later, but as I listened to that podcast, which is an incredibly great podcast, I thought those kids have been through so much. Like, how are they going to be? Normal. Quote, unquote, normal. Yeah. You know, and I think that when people go through these tragedies, you know, you just don't know. You know, so it really depends on, like, whether or not the kids are going to be able to overcome that. And it's it's, it's just a it's a terrible question to have to, a- to ask. And you speaking know? of questions, you had mentioned earlier that there was a deputy who had a choice to make when he first yes. arrived. Now, tell me about that. Yes. Okay, so if you remember earlier in the story, Erica had been shot twice and she somehow managed to get over the couch and grabbed the cordless phone and called 911 and it connected. But what they would find out later, 911 operators heard scuffling and like loud voices, but they didn't hear gunshots. And so they eventually sent out, you know, a deputy to this really heavily wooded area and they saw that metal gate and they also saw that no trespassing sign. And so between those two factors, they didn't have, you know, information that there was gunshots. And so, you know, they drove away. And based on the timeline, we don't think he could have done anything. But we did learn from our suspects that they knew he was there and they laid in wait. If he'd come up that driveway, it's a wooded driveway, they were going to shoot him. On the one hand, many people think he should have gone up that driveway. On the other hand, we're also glad he didn't because it probably could have turned out very badly for him. So he couldn't have saved anyone had he walked up, but he very likely could have been killed. He he absolutely, based on what Urquhart said, was going to be killed because they confessed during their confession. They they were fully intending on killing anybody who went walked up. And the fact that they closed it and locked it after the murders had already happened, we know that based on that timeline, he couldn't have done anything. But it was very, um, you know, I mean— the guy's career probably nosedived by making that. But he, you know, it's one of those like impossible things. Like he, you know, if he would have gone up there, he would have been killed. But then, you know, people who are cops are like, that's his job. He should have done that. So it was two, three days before her coworker, Judy's coworker noticed that she hadn't shown up and went to the house to look for her. Yeah, it was two days. Where was Michelle and McEnroe during that time period? You know what? It wasn't in any of the documents that I, that I found that out. But were they living on this property with the bodies? No, they, from what I understand, them coming back the first time after the investigation had already happened, that was the first time they'd been back okay. to the property. Yeah, they, they took off and they probably, they hatched that plan. Wherever they went, they went there trying to hatch that plan. Like they didn't even have a plan from what I understand after it happened or before. They like hadn't to even explain planned it out. away. Yeah, How were they exactly. going to explain this? But. Wayne and Judy's Judy Anderson's daughter, Mary, the oldest, she was supposed to be at that Christmas party with her children. She wasn't there. She was planning on going there two days before Christmas Eve. Mary was on the phone talking to her mom, Judy, and she Judy was at Target with Michelle. And Michelle was like, hadn't talked to Mary, the sister, her sister, for like three months because she was just angry and stewing and upset and, you know, was kind of rejecting the family. And Mary was really upset. But at that time, during that Target visit, she heard Michelle say, hey, is Mary going to be there? And Mary was like, okay, yes, tell her I'm going to be there. And Michelle told Mary that she was sorry for avoiding her for three months. And so that really sets the stage that 
you know, she she wanted her to come. She wanted her to be there. And, you know, Mary fully believes that it was a death sentence to, to go to that family thing. So when I was listening to the trial, I mean, the sister has gone through hell. You could see it, you know, when she was on the witness stand. You know, she talked about what that was like for her, how it felt to basically have this family member wanting to kill her entire family. I heard, Michelle, is Mary going to be there? And I said, tell her, yes, I'll be there. Ms. Anderson, may I ask you, uh, did you go to your parents' home on Christmas Eve 2007? No. And why not? I was sick. My youngest son and I, we were getting sick. Didn't want to spread our germs. <laughs> wow. So she was concerned about the health of the rest of the family. I mean, it's like that that was her on the stand, Mary. And she said that a couple of days before Christmas Eve, that when she said, is Mary going to be there? That was Michelle asking her mom. They were at Target together. And so she wanted her to be there. How do you live with that? How do you go on knowing that you're not only has, you know, your entire kind of extended family been murdered, but that... You had a target on your back, too. Yeah. And so did your children. Yeah. I don't know how many children she has, but that would have been at least... she. I know she has at least two. So that would have brought that count up to nine people if she would have been there. And Mary definitely believes that Michelle fully intended on, on killing her and her children. So um, basically how this ends, at one point, the death penalty was on the table, but prosecutors didn't pursue it because of a statewide moratorium on the death penalty because of Governor Jay Inslee, who is still the governor. And ultimately, Michelle Anderson and Joe McEnroe received six life sentences without the possibility of parole. So they're still in prison to this day. Oh, they'll be in prison for the rest of their lives. Well, that's at least a little bit of solace yeah. at the end of this is that they're not out to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Over nothing. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about another family murder okay. <laughs> coming up on the next episode. Maybe this is going to turn out to be a theme for us. Uh, this one, again, several family members murdered. Suspect wasn't discovered for quite some time. But in this case, it didn't end at the family home. It ended at an underground bunker. Oh, my God. What a tease. And we're actually going to hear from the killer himself. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> I'm Kim Shepard with Carolyn Osorio, and this is the scene of the crime. 